0: A stained glass people, a stained glass people, and this story today takes place in the book of John chapter six, and it's just a kid who was ready to give, just a kid who was truly ready to give. I told you we're going to learn a lot from children today, because Jesus himself said it. He said, in children, in children is the kingdom of heaven. And it was in a moment when the disciples were shushing and pushing kids away from him because they felt it would distract or interrupt. My heart and desire is that here at this place in this church, we do not shush children or push them away, but we draw and bring them into the presence of God. Oh, wouldn't it be beautiful if the kids came in and saw all of us on our knees before the Lord? that they realized, oh, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, that's what it looks like. And so you've got Jesus here. He says, stop it. He gets angry. Don't push the children away. Let them draw near and come close. He blesses them and he says, for in them is the kingdom. We're going to learn today where a miracle of multiplication came through tiny hands. How many of you like math? I'm just kidding, I don't. Uh, Anna and I, you know, we've got a second grader and a kindergartner in school and their math is so difficult for us, I'm not gonna lie to you. We'll be sitting there and it is literally how we become more holy in our household is who who gets to do homework today with the kids? And there'll just be these moments of math where I'll be doing it and Anna's in the background, she's like, you're totally wrong. And then I'm like, well, you see, kids, there's many ways of doing this. (laughs) And all you mathematicians are like, no, there's not. It's a formula, A plus B equals C. Multiplication. God wants to multiply things in our life, but not just for ourselves. He doesn't just wanna make your bank account really swollen. And some of you are like, yeah, that sounds good. No, He doesn't just want to make you super talented so you can build your own platform and your own following. Very smart and academic so you could do whatever you want to do and get whatever you need. He's multiplying something in us and around us so we can feed the masses. So people can feast from our sacrifice. This is the call of God. This is the way of Jesus Christ. He's inviting us into this. And big encounters with God often start in quiet moments or in desperate circumstances. If you find yourself in a desperate place, I'm glad you're here because he's about to show you the way. If you're in the midst of a season of life that feels quiet, not a lot of movement, not a lot of conversation with God, maybe you feel lonely, you're about to have an encounter. You've already been having an encounter with him. But now he's gonna reveal to you because our hearts are open now. He's gonna reveal something he wants to give us. But you know what it's gonna require? We gotta let go. There's something that we are holding on to, all of us, because it's human nature, that he's inviting us to let go of so we can take hold of what he wants to do. Can we pray before we read the text? Lord, we come before you a good father, a faithful father, who invites us into his work. God, may our hearts be prepared. Let us not just read a story, but we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would read our hearts and lives. That the same Jesus who was on a hillside and a mountainside doing a miracle, a sign, and a wonder is the same Jesus here in this place at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle inviting us in to the next thing he has for us. So Lord, would you give us strength to let go and take hold? In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter six, Jesus was doing amazing things, signs, wonders, miracles. He was speaking with authority when he spoke. People's minds and hearts began to shake and be stirred. Who is this one with such authority and power? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he the deliverer? And so people are following him so much that he often has to break away and run away to have those alone times and come back to the crowds and the groups. And here we have one of those moments. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. See, John uses the word signs throughout his whole gospel. This story is mentioned throughout every gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, those are called the synoptics, and then the gospel of John. All four gospels record this miracle, and it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. Started with a little kid being willing. And John uses the word sign because he's reminding us not to get lost in the miracles and allow them to be our faith, but instead to let them show us the way and point us to Jesus, the miracle worker. Do not get lost in the experience of religion or the experience of encounters, church. Let those things be signs that direct you to look at Jesus and pursue him, to get deeper into who he is and what he wants to do in you. And so here we are. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That was a festival celebrating the provision of God and the deliverance of God to his people. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, "Where?" shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there and we know there was women and children as well so that was even more than 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted and he did the same with the fish. And when they had Had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. Now listen, the reason we see evidence of those baskets is because it's revealing to us there was a real miracle. That was the evidence that there was a real miracle of multiplication It wasn't just people feeling generous and then they all started giving to each other. It wasn't just spiritual food. There was a supernatural dynamic that took place here and we see that in the evidence that there is more afterwards than there was before. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. See, Jesus wasn't looking to receive a crown from humanity in an earthly kingdom for he already knew who he was. He was a heavenly king who had come to dwell with us to do his father's will. And so he withdrew. There's a few things we learn from this story when we look at it, but I pray those things aren't just something that we lean into and go, ooh, good. But instead, I pray it's something we surrender to. His words and his will so we can see all that he has in store for us. Awareness of need. Jesus sees and knows that they're hungry. How many of you get hungry? Raise your hand. You're hungry right now. You're starving right now. You're thinking about, what am I gonna order? Where should I go on the way home when I'm passing by there? I can grab that. A little snack here, a little appetizer here. We get hungry. And it's okay. God created us to hunger. He literally made a garden and he put fruit in it, delicious fruit, so we could eat of it. He knows our needs. I didn't say wants. He knows your wants, but it doesn't mean he's gonna give it to you. He knows your needs, but he does wanna provide those for you. He does. Sometimes we think that God's so disconnected from us, and he's not. He wasn't like, everyone's hungry, and I'm trying to speak. How dare you? fast today no hey they're hungry we got to give them something to eat he knows your need if you think he doesn't you're believing a lie now if you get confused like i do with my needs and wants he'll help us discern that and learn that he'll show us what we actually need and not just what we want and see, not only does he see our needs, but you and I are called to participate with and be a part of seeing the needs in those around us. Jesus is once again showing us the way. Do you know if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, then he is inviting you to be aware of others? Well, that's just on Saturdays and Sundays, but understand Monday through Friday, I have things to do. Wrong answer. You say yes to Jesus, you say yes to that call. You got to start seeing people. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You are not the answer. You are not the answer or the source to people. You are not the provider or the savior. But you are meant, and I am meant, to participate in the provision. You can see people's needs, and it's overwhelming. Right, Us as pastors, we know that. We get the emails, the calls, the texts, the visits, all this stuff. Need, need, need. It's a real thing. You can see it and it's overwhelming. You can feel, I don't have the resources, the abilities, the talents, the skill sets to actually contribute and help to solve this. I can't. And you can become overwhelmed by the needs of others. And so it does two things. Either you become a slave to people's needs and after decades of doing that, you'll begin to hate the people you once loved. Or you say, I'm just not going to help anybody. And here's the answer that we see in this story. There's a need. What do I do? You bring it to Jesus. You place it in his hands. And then he'll show you how he wants you to become a part of his work in answering that need. That's the filter we use. But you know, in this whole story, There's a really pivotal moment that Jesus is having with his disciples. He's got them learning in the classroom of life and experience. They're not just sitting there with pencils and papers and he's teaching them now, this is what faith looks like and this is what trust looks like and I'm gonna break it down in five points that you can understand and if you'd like, you can practice it. If not, just pay the fee for the class. That's not what he's saying. He's got them on site learning. Does anyone else like to learn on site you know what I'm talking about? Like, get me in there, let me learn that way. Tactile experience. So he's got him in a test. And he asks a question. He looks at Philip and he says, Where? Where are we gonna get the food for everybody? And you know what Philip's immediate answer is? How? We don't have enough. We can't even buy. He skips the whole. Jesus is saying, where? Philip, source. What's gonna be our source? And Philip jumps right to the how, which is the means. We don't have the means to do it. Now, when Jesus puts us in a test, it is not to pass or fail. It's to grow. He was growing faith, and he was minding faith in them and out of them. He was mining it out of them, pulling it out of them. In the midst of this experience, even this desperate moment. Have you ever been around 10 hungry people? <laughs> you just see our house at night, like before dinner time. the kids are like, Wah! in the kitchen. We're like, get away, get away. You know, throwing food at them, they're like jumping. <laughs> you know, that's literally, you think we're joking, we're not. Thousands of people hungry. It's <laughs> a nightmare. He puts it right in the test. Where? And they get into the how. How many of us are just stuck in the, I don't have the means, I don't have the means, I can't do this, I can't do this. And we just get in this angst and this confusion and this chaos and this anxiety that is natural to the world and the climate that we live in. We get caught in that. And we're out there doing spreadsheets and writing on big whiteboards and coming up with all of our plans and all of our ideas. And yet we find that we still stay in the classroom with the confusing math problem that we never get a solution to it. Because here's the thing, Jesus is inviting you and I to ask source, where? What we did earlier together as a community on our knees before the Lord, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And so Jesus has got him in a test. But he wants to see him grow. He wants to see you and I grow. When we get into hard circumstances and difficult situations, scripture tells us God will put us in places to be tested. It's true, and it's uncomfortable. I, mean, I was a horrible test taker, multiple choice was a nightmare for me. Anyone else? So like, I'm like, no, 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 I gotta write an essay. That's my whole thing. Let me, let me explain to you why I think my answer that was wrong is actually right. I'm still wrong. <laughs> so like, it's multiple choice, choose one. But we think sometimes that God threw us in this and why God, and really what he's doing is he's cultivating something out of us to become a people of faith and trust. And so he's got the disciples there and they're gonna begin to grow. Because one day those disciples would walk in miracles, signs, and wonders. They would do the same things Jesus would do, but they had to first be in the living test and the tension of a question. But you know what? There was one person who jumped past it all. Just a little boy who was listening to all their ideas. just a little child. The seeds of this great miracle came out of five barley loaves and two fish from a little boy's sacrifice and surrender. Sacrifice and surrender are often the catalyst of the supernatural. Here's what's amazing. To God, there is no natural and supernatural because he himself is supernatural. Beyond our comprehension and our mind, So, all that he does is what he does. Who he is is who he is. He's not defined by the same laws that we're defined by or the scientific method. Our surrender and sacrifice brings us closer into him and who he is. And so, here this little boy shows up. I've got something. And you know what he had? Barley loaves were poor man's food. The lowest caste, the poorest of the poor, that's what they ate. It wasn't your Italian bread with a side of olive oil and Parmesan cheese grated. I'm getting all of us hungry because it was near lunchtime. It wasn't that. You know what it was? It was literally near the baker's feet, the crumbs at the bottom. But This little boy comes with a poor man's offering to the king of kings and the Lord of Lord's to how he would define himself later, Jesus, as heaven's bread, the provider, the deliverer. And this little boy shows up. I've got this. I'm just reminded when even Jesus is testing and revealing to the disciples once again to a group of people who are giving their offerings to God, and there's the ones who are, they have a lot, they have much means to give, and they're making a big scene of it and giving of their offering and then there's that poor woman in the back who just has a mite to give, and she drops it in there, and he says, Ah, that's it. That's the heart. That's what I bless. That's where the kingdom is revealed. Like Jesus himself would say in Matthew 5:3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this little boy, poor in spirit and in pocket, brings his lunch and probably also a little means to make money because his parents would have given him that bread and those fish and said sell a couple and make some money off of it and so he brings all that to Jesus. You know, and I could just I could just picture in the text because when you read the synoptics and the gospels they explain that when everyone broke up into groups. They were in 50s and 100s. And so the disciples are given an assignment. Jesus is like, okay, you go, make those groups. Make those groups of 50s and 100s. And I could just see Jesus and this little boy. And Jesus is just like, you think they could at least do that? You think they could do that? He's like, yeah, yeah. Maybe I think they could do that. He's holding his little basket. Good, because I'm, I'm about to do something. And you're a part of it. He's just standing there. If you think... God needs what we define as much. You've missed the entire picture of who our God is from Genesis to Revelation. Do you know what he desires? What you can give. Your challenge, your skills, your level of academia, your abilities, your resources. I messed up, I got a bad past. All he says is, Give me what you can and what you have, and watch what I'll do. And all of a sudden, there's a miracle of multiplication. And you know what? He wasn't the only little kid, probably with food. He wasn't the only person without some sort of food and snack. I mean, do you go places without snacks? If you have a purse, you're like, Oh, I got snacks. My mom's purse always was like filled with snacks. And gum. I'm like, what's down there? She's like, Don't eat that. That's old cheese. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's been there for months. But I need it. Other people had food. They were with Jesus all day listening to him. They had it, but guess what? They looked and saw the problem and they said, Hey, I don't have enough to solve the problem. So why should I give it all? I don't have enough to actually help. Why give it all? But this little boy, I have this. And he gave it. He placed it into the hands of Jesus. And out of that sacrifice began a feast with leftovers. I think Tommy and Katie Hampton are here. There they are. They have two beautiful children. Their son, Jetty, we saw out on Smithdown Kickers on the soccer field yesterday. And we were talking and Tommy and I were talking and we were dialoguing through this whole text and story. And he said, oh my goodness, Jetty just rocked my world the other day. That's their five-year-old son. He, he was, we were reading the story and he said, dad, dad, listen, when we have leftovers, it's always less than what our original meal was. But when Jesus has leftovers, it's always more than what they originally had. Five years old. (laughs) I was on the soccer field. That wrecked my heart. Can you hear the words of Jesus? In them is the kingdom of heaven. The riddles of humanity solved by a small child who is just ready to listen and believe and trust. And that is why God the Father is called God the Father and us as children. He's inviting us into trust. Daddy, when we have leftovers, it's less than what we had. But when Jesus has leftovers, it's even more than we had before. Who is your provider? Who is your source? What amazing parents, Tommy and Katie. You raise your child in the ways of God and the scriptures. <laughs> Church. That's what we want to do for generations more that this would be a place and a house and a family where we raise children in the ways of God and we teach them and we teach each other and we sometimes allow them to teach us. Evie, you sure you wanna give all of it? Dad, God said, give all of it. And they teach us what it means to be children of God. The revival starts there. What is our source? I want to read as I close further down in John chapter six. It's verse twenty-six through twenty-seven. This is Jesus speaking. Realize that this is the next day. He miraculously gets across the sea, and the crowds they find him again. Give us more, give us more. Human nature, right? We always want more, more. What's enough? A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So here we have Jesus speaking to them. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I love that because he's saying, there's a reality to what I do that affects you in your soul, your mind, your spirit, but also your body as well. There's a tangible reality to the workings and presence of God on your life and my life. It really is tangible. I'm gonna share quickly a story. When I was in Africa... And we were building a church in an unreached village and there was a witch doctor there who didn't want us there. And in the night, I'm gonna skip all the details, but in the night, basically what happened, he came to put a curse on our team. We were with the Rasmussen's there in Tanzania, the unreached people group, the Tongwe people. And that witch doctor didn't want us and our man team. It was a bunch of guys from college there. And so he tried to put a curse on us in the night. And so we woke up the next morning and he was there dialoguing in Swahili with one of the African pastors. And what we came to understand was he came that morning and said to them, What power do you have? and the pastor asked him why he said i need to know what power you have and the pastor the african if you ever seen an african pastor preach <laughs> he's like you want to know what power we just see this happening what so, what's going on and all of a sudden he said because i came last night and i tried to put a curse to kill all of you i do not like what you're bringing here or doing but whatever power you have is greater than mine so what power is that he was trying to buy the power of god you know what happened to that man he came to know jesus christ he surrendered his life to jesus and Long story short, years later, they went back and he had gone around before he died, that witch doctor, to other villages, surrounding villages, and brought those witch doctors to surrender to Jesus Christ. But this is who we serve. This is who our God is. What power do you have? Man. And so I just read this statement of what Jesus is saying and we're gonna go in just a second, but... There's a reality because I remember when I was in the house with that witch doctor and we were praying, he was inviting Jesus into his heart and life. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, you know, I've seen a lot of Marvel movies. I'm like, something's going to happen. The place is going to ignite or fire's going to fall all this stuff. It wasn't that. You know what I saw? I'll never forget this. I saw a man's face change. This man was deep into dark and evil things. He was in Satan's territory, and he was surrendered to it. But he surrendered his life to Jesus on his knees in that hut. And I saw his face change. His eyes with tears, and his eyes just began to be brightened up. See, there is a tangible reality to the transformation and the power of God. It's tangible You were not just created to be some celestial being of soul that disappears and that's not what it is. You were created from the dust of the earth. He formed you. He breathed life into us. There's an earthy intangible reality to the call of God on our life. It affects our body, our mind, and our spirit. All of it is influenced by God and who he is. And I saw it happen on that man and his face. I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. But do not work for foods that spoils, Jesus says, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Later on, Jesus will go to tell us and share. The worship team can come back up. He says, remember the manna that came down from the heavens to feed the Israelites? As they were delivered from captivity in Egypt through the wilderness. You know that manna, the story, what you celebrate. I am the bread of life, heaven's bread, here, sent by the Father. People started getting uncomfortable. And he said, You must eat of my life. We see the Eucharist and communion in this picture. The sacrifice that Jesus would do of laying down his life. As we break bread and we drink the juice, the wine, we take it on the inside. But Jesus is saying this I am the bread of heaven. I'm heaven's bread. If you eat of me and drink of me, you won't hunger or thirst anymore like the world does. And he says, Work for bread that does not spoil. What are you working for and towards? Anxious about, frustrated about, exhausted about. I think when the psalmist says, Don't you know the Lord blesses his beloved even when they sleep? You're toiling, anxious, frustrated, and we're all bitten by the culture that we're in the midst of. We have to solve everything. We have to solve every political agenda. We have to solve every social issue, economic issue. We have to solve all of our personal family's issues. And and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and work and retirement and this. And we just, anxious hands toiling for bread that will spoil. But Jesus goes, hey, I'm the bread of eternal life that never spoils so guess what work for Jesus this is our job interview church do you accept it do you say yes to his invitation to be a part of his work and to work for him the bread of heaven that never spoils the jug that never runs dry this is the invitation we are being given but some walked away Don't walk away. Don't walk away from heaven's bread. And this whole thing started with a little boy who surrendered what he had. And because of that, it was multiplied. Couldn't you just see this little boy? I have little children, you know little kids. I mean, Jesus... Jesus was popular. People wanted to be around him and near him. He had power, he had authority. And you could just see this little kid listening and being near, wow. And all of a sudden, there's a moment that he can be a part of it. A moment he can be a part of it. And so, with the little he has, he just says, I have this. in that surrender of what he had just to be near, just to be next to the guy who everyone was looking at. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have a little son. I love when he comes up to stand next to me, be next to his dad. And this little kid is just there next to Jesus. And you get to see Jesus with the warmth and the genuine heart that he had with his arm around him. Like, I'm gonna do something beautiful. And you're a part of it. I could just see this little kid decades and decades later, the power and the seeds of Christendom shattering the world known at that time, going into foreign places with the power of the gospel and the stories of Jesus, the followers of the way, the Christians spreading. And this guy who was once a little boy going, hey, one time we worked together. (laughs) One time we worked together may they say it of our life and may we say it of him we're being invited into his work but it starts with letting go of something so you could take hold of his hand let go give it up and surrender when you surrender you get closer to him and more of him is revealed through you what is the feast Inside of your surrender, that has to get into His hands so that we can see the multiplication of His work in our neighborhood, in our house, in our workspace, in our classroom, on the soccer field, on the basketball court, in your marriage, in the rooms you walk into, in the medical facility that you manage in the supermarket what do you have you can give him that he can feed so many with it's all about him but he invites us into his work can we stand up what a good father what a good father what do you have to let go of What do you need to surrender? That's between you and him. As we sing this song, search your heart. And I pray that today we place something in his hands so when we walk out, we can see him do great and mighty things that people like the psalmist David would say, taste and see that the